thing, isn't it? How we miss what we are not looking for. And honestly, as I was studying this passage this, this week, for the longest time, for days and days and days and days and days, literally days, so I had a couple of weeks to prepare this time, I, I missed what in the world is this passage about? And I just, I couldn't nail it down. And even when we got together with Hockley and, and, and Scott and I, it, just, it was just difficult for me. And I missed something that I think is absolutely critical and central to the passage. So let's read the passage and then we'll tell, I'll tell you what I missed. Here we go. John chapter 4. After two days, remember he was down there in Samaria. We saw that last week. After two days, he left for Galilee. That's up north. Now Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there, because they traveled down for the festival, right? Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Remember that. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, Excuse me, who is close to death. <coughs> Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and he departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed that this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, as you read that passage, I'm sure for for several of us, different things would come up into our mind. We'd notice different things. The Spirit would use them to tug in our heart, different things to draw to our attention. But the part that I missed, the part that I underestimated, the, the dancing bird that's in the middle of everything that I didn't pay any attention to, is verse 44. For Jesus himself had told them that a prophet has no honor in his home country. I missed that. I missed just how important it was. Now, now, you know, it's, it's, I have an excuse, and the excuse is that in the NIV, which is what I use for my general reading, it's in parentheses, and I don't know about you, but parentheses in the middle of a paragraph usually means, well, this isn't very important, we can kind of skip over it, and we'll just let it slide by. But that's not what John is doing here. Those words in those parentheses, you see it at the beginning there, those words, Jesus himself had told them that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What John is doing, those are words that John has inserted into this story. He said, I'm going to tell you this whole story. Oh, but let me just remind you something that doesn't happen in here, but Jesus had said this previously. A prophet is not properly honored in his home country. You see, what John wants us to do, the hint he's trying to give us, is that this is what I want you to look at this passage through that lens. This is a very important thing, this idea that Jesus is saying, listen, a prophet doesn't get properly honored in his home country. The second hint for that that's the important thing is the structure of the passage. Did you notice something really weird? 
And the verse is saying, you know, hey, here's Jesus, and Jesus told us a prophet does not get proper honor in the place where he comes from. And the very next verse, it says, oh, these Galileans, they welcomed Jesus. Because they'd seen what was going on in, down in Jerusalem. They were there, and they, they gave Jesus this, this welcome. Hey, welcome, Jesus. We are so glad that you are here. And it's kind of a juxtaposition, isn't it? It's sort of a thing that says, well, hang on a minute. Prophet has no honor. He goes home, and, and you know, because they thought he was from up north. And, and they honor him by welcoming him. And so what John's doing by putting those two things together, he's just trying to say, hey, hold up a minute. Think about this whole thing. This is something that John says is important. The prophet received no honor. And there's this contrast between what Jesus said happens and then what happens in this story. And you see, John is trying to say, listen, this is the lens I want you to encounter the story through. I want you to think about how is it that we truly honor Jesus? How do we really honor Jesus? Because the stuff that's going on here has some real lessons for us about how it is that we should welcome and honor Jesus. What does it mean to honor Jesus? There's all kinds of stuff going on in this passage. There's the faith of the Father. There's the fact that, that hey, you know, this is in Cana, you know, and so, and so we're sort of, we're, we're ending this whole passage. He goes back to Cana in the beginning in this first section that we're looking at in the body. That, that's going on. We could look at that and how, how that miracle of the change of water into wine and this miracle of healing this official son. They, there's incredible connection between the two. If you read them, they process in the same way. All kinds of stuff that we could notice, but John is saying, I, I mean, yeah, John is saying, Pay attention to how we honor Jesus. What does it mean to honor Jesus? How do we give him adequate weight in our lives? How do we measure who he is properly and not just minimize him? How is it that we give him the esteem, the worship, the praise that he deserves? How do I count him truly as precious in my life? The center of my life. The gem of my life, the focus of my life. Well, there's five things that I picked out here. There's probably more, but but five things I think that for me were a bit challenging. And the first thing is, is that it has to do with these Galileans. It's this, we need to offer Jesus more of a welcome than a welcome that just makes him who we want him to be. I don't know about you, but it's so tempting for me to do that. To think about the Jesus that I like. The Jesus that looks the way I want to see him to look. The Jesus that answers prayers the way I want him to answer prayers. The Jesus that interacts with people the way that I want him to interact with people. Now Jesus, we saw last week as Dave led us through it, had spent a good deal of time in Samaria. And if you'll remember how that passage ended, remember the whole thing, the woman, you know, the woman at the well, she goes back and she, you're a prophet and goes and all the people come out. And look at how that last part ended there with verse 42. <clears throat> the Samaritans, they come up and then Jesus spent some time with them. They said, listen, we no longer believe just because of what you said, they said to the woman. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now they didn't quite mean everything that we understand it's mean because things hadn't unfolded. But it was this tremendous statement of faith that this guy is not just a prophet. He's not just somebody who knows what's going on. He's not just somebody who hears people. This is somebody who is the savior of the world. He is the big guy. That's how the passage ended. 
And what happens is that the Galileans come and they are not ready to recognize that. They want Jesus to be something else. I mean, they, they, they say who he is. But we know what they think and who he is. Because chapter 2, if we go back to when they were in Jerusalem, remember how it ended that way. These members, so these people, it says right here, they were in Jerusalem. They saw that what, what Jesus had done. Look at this. Now, when he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they trusted in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. You see what that's saying? They trusted him, but Jesus wouldn't trust them. What's going on here? It's because they trusted Jesus to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted him to be. And Jesus understood that if they let him, if he trusted himself to them, if he gave himself over them to them at that time, next thing you know, they would have elevated him into some military ruler that had been bringing out the swords and the spears and trying to take on Rome and all those things. And so Jesus said, yeah, you trust me, but the person that you're trusting is not really who I am. So I can't give myself to you yet. And these were the Galileans that they were down there. They saw all this. They trusted in Jesus' miracles and his works and his cleansing the temple. All that stuff that happened there in chapter 2. But Jesus is like, that's not who I am. You're trusting in somebody made in your own image. With your own way of doing things. You're going to twist me into something that I am not. And so this Galilean welcome was something of a, a, a superficial welcome. And they, they stand in between the Samaritans who had this faith saying, hey, this guy, he is the savior of the world. And this ruler who was probably a Gentile, this ruler who had this growing faith and understanding in who Jesus was. And they sort of stand as this warning to us to make sure that when we welcome Jesus, the way in which we honor Jesus, is to honor him as the Jesus as he reveals himself to be, not the Jesus whom I make him to be. It's hard. How do I welcome Jesus? Do I really welcome him like these Galileans? Why is a good moral teacher? Maybe he's a bit of a genie in a bottle that when I get into trouble, I can kind of rub the, the bottle, call it prayer, and, you know, and he's going to perform for me. And maybe he's just going to be a healer. But I don't know about the savior of the world stuff. I don't know about this Lord of my life stuff. I don't know about this son of righteousness stuff. I don't know about this king of kings, Lord of lords whose words should govern my life, my actions, my attitudes, and my thoughts. How do I welcome Jesus? It's so hard to accept Jesus as he presents himself, not as I wish him to be, and to honor him with a welcome on his terms as he presents himself, not how I manufacture him to be. It's part of the reason that we need to be in the body, because we're all susceptible to it. And we need each other to say, hang on a minute, Alan. I mean, that, that, that's not how I see Jesus at all. Are you sure that's not just, you know, a reflection of, of you or your attitude or this? We need to be together and talk about who Jesus is because we correct each other. Because left to our own devices, we are so easily Galileans who give Jesus 
a welcome as the Jesus we want him to be, not as he is. So, first, we honor him by welcoming him for who he truly is as he presents himself to be. Second thing that happens here, it's, we take an example from this man, it is to come to Jesus with our needs, with our lives. This father comes and you can, you can sense in the story the desperation in his heart, the desperation in his voice. You know, on Thursday, we, we get together and we pray for you folks and we pray in general and so on on, on Thursday mornings. And, and as I was praying on Thursday, I was, I was praying that, 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 that God would send a revival. It's so easy to be a zombie church. It's so easy to have it look like our faith is alive, like my faith is alive. But really, it's just kind of going through the motions. And, you know, the, the society's in such a mess. The world is in such a mess. And, and I was praying for revival, that the Holy Spirit would come and just wash over me and wash over us and wash over the city and wash over the country and wash over the world. And, and as I was praying for that and, and thinking about the prayers that we were offering, I thought, boy, you know what, Alan? There's not a sense of desperation in your prayers. There's a request, and it's a sincere request, and there's thanksgiving, and it's a sincere thanksgiving. But so much of my prayer life is, it does not have the oomph, does not have the zest, does not have the jam, does not have the desperation that's necessary. And I, you know, so then I've been praying that Holy Spirit, you know, change my heart, change our heart, change us, make us desperate for you, make us desperate for the kingdom to come, make us desperate that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, make us desperate to see your action, that people's lives would be changed and, and, and God's graciousness would flood over the land. So this man, he comes in desperation and I'm, and I'm trying to learn to pray with desperation and expectation. And I think, why, why don't I pray with that, with that desperation? What's going on? Like, why, why don't I, why don't, you know, I pray, I, I do, I pray quite a bit, honestly, I do. But why, why, why you know, how often do I, am I weeping before the Lord and broken before the Lord? How, how often is, is my entire being thrown into that? Why don't I do that? Why do I hold back? And as I thought about that, I, I, I think I, maybe I think it was the Spirit was whispering to me, but I think it's right. It, it's sometimes it's because I'm hesitant to throw myself into it because I'm terrified that Jesus will say no. And it's a weird thing because, you see, when we ask for miracles, when we ask for healing, when we ask for our bodies and lives and relationships and, and families, and, this, and the, when we ask for those things, sometimes God says no. And sometimes I'm afraid to put myself on the line because I don't want to hear Jesus say no. It's kind of like when you're young and there's this girl that you like and you, you feel like you want to ask her for a date. But you're terrified to say no, so you don't ask. It's better to live with the fantasy that maybe she'd like me. And sometimes sometimes I, I think I'm a little bit like that with God. I'm really afraid to put my whole being into those prayers for fear that it doesn't come out as I want it to come out. 
you know, Dave and I were, were talking about that this, this week, and, you know, we were talking about a few weeks ago, you might remember we had a time for prayer, you know, the elderly, we had the different corners to go into, and, and before that we had that stronghold of praise, because, you know, praise matches down the, the gates of hell, and uh, we have the prayer garden that we can pray and all those things, and it was a topic that came up at the annual meeting, and, you know, I, I think, you and I, you know, I checked it out when we had that time of, of prayer with the elders and stuff. I honestly, I went into there with, with great expectations that God would do amazing healing things. I, you know, I, I checked some people. I, I don't know that any healings took place there. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> and sometimes I just am afraid to pray with desperation. To really pray for those kids. To really pray for those people. To really pray for that situation. Because what if it doesn't work out? What, what does that do to my faith? What do I think about God? When I desperately pray, and maybe I even sometimes think that God says, yeah, okay. Man, I remember, you know, when we were young, sorry, she should have checked, but I'm going to You know, we, we had Andrew, and that was a great blessing and stuff, and we wanted to have more kids. And we didn't. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. About this infertility. She knew more than me, because, you know. Uh, and I remember, and, you know, sometimes you, it seems like you read, you know, the story of the persistent widow, or those things, and it would seem like God would say, yeah, you know, just be persistent. And, uh, no. And Mother's Day was a day of misery for a lot of years. Until God gave us our, our Sarah through Andrew. It's scary to put ourselves on the line in desperate, desperate prayer. So I was really challenged when I was by Ben Witherington, who's a biblical scholar at Asbury, and he wrote this in his commentary. Look at this, think about this. When we face trials, when we go through hard times, when stuff's not working out, when life is, is tough. When we face trials, do we put our faith on trial or our God on trial? That's a hard question. Because most of the time I put God on trial. You're supposed to be this kind of God. You're supposed to fulfill this kind of promise. How can you put this burden on my heart if you're going to say no anyhow? It's a challenge to pray with desperation because God really does sometimes say no. We know that. Think of the Apostle Paul. He says, three times I asked God, God, I've got this thorn in the flesh. We don't have an idea what it is. Probably some kind of a physical ailment. And I can, you can hear it, right? There's Paul. Okay, I gave all the rest of those guys Jerusalem to convert. I took the rest of the world. Surely, God, if you'd make me healthy, I could do more stuff. Surely, God, if you'd give me the energy to do it, I could do some stuff. Surely, God, if you would heal my eyes or whatever it was that some people think, my, then I could write better letters. Surely, God, if you would heal me, surely I'd be able to advance the kingdom better. Surely, God, come on, heal me. I've given myself completely to you. I just want it for the sake of your kingdom. Heal me. And God says, no. 
Let me tell you what my grace to you is. I'm going to give you sufficient strength to do what I want you to do while still sick. While still sick, going and blind. While still without the energy. While still burdened with this problem. That's my grace to you because I know what is best for you and I know what is best for the kingdom. And when we go through trials, the test is, do I have the faith to believe that this God is good? And this God is wise. And this God does what is right. Even when I don't see it. And even when I vehemently disagree with how he answers. To honor Jesus is to come to him with our needs and to leave it all on the field and then trust that he will do what is right and good. And when it doesn't make any sense to me to look at my faith and make it a test of my faith and my understanding of God and my relationship with him. So this man comes with this kind of desperation. And Jesus' response is like, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Oh, harsh. Harsh. No wonder I don't come with desperation. Well, unless I, unless, I, unless I say yes to you, you're not going to believe. Unless you see the signs of wonders, you're not going to believe. Now, there are some people that say that Jesus is not saying this in an irritating way. There's a few, a minority of people that say, Jesus kind of says, like, here's the need. Okay. You guys need signs and wonders to believe? Okay, I'm going to do one for you. So a minority of people say it could be that Jesus says it that way. But most of the time, it's, most people say it like, Jesus, like, Unless you believe, it sounds like a bit of a rebuke. Certainly there's a resistance, just like in the wedding of Cana, right, with the wine, he resists his mother. It's that pattern. That's what Jesus does. And what is the man's response to God's resistance? It's to push through these hard sayings of Jesus. It's to hear what Jesus said and to still keep going. What he does is he doubles down. And he says, no, Jesus, sir, you've got to come. You've got to meet this need. If you don't meet this need, my kid will die. He doubles down. Puts more urgency and energy into the equation. It's like, okay, Jesus, I, I've got a weak faith, whatever. But here's what I've got. What I've got, I give you. I don't have much faith. And maybe I do need signs. And maybe I do need a miracle. I know I should be better. I should have more faith. Whatever. I just come to you with whatever faith I've got. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a lot. But I'm just going to give this to you because it's all I've got to give. It's all I've got to give. And you're the only one that I can come to. And maybe I need to be taught and maybe I need to be rebuked and maybe I need to, whatever, Jesus, do whatever. But this is all I got, so this is what I give you. And I'm doubling down and I'm asking you to make this difference in my kid's life. You see, to honor Jesus properly is to stick with him when he says things that we don't like. It's a sign of the age. That when Jesus starts telling us things that we don't like, it's so easy to walk away. 
well, don't believe in that Jesus or I don't know what kind of a God is that. It's so easy. But to honor Jesus properly is to take when he says things that we don't like, that are difficult for us, and to stick with him anyway. As this guy sticks with Jesus to push through hard sayings so that we can know God more fully. You know, it's, it's funny how things that Jesus says that are hard, they sort of change through life a little bit, don't they? It's funny how once you turn 60, you start thinking about long stuff. But, you know, I, I can remember, you know, I first came to Christ. I came to Christ when I was 17 in this church right here. And... And when I read the Bible and I read that Jesus treated people, I think to myself, well, surely he's not that much of a pansy. This guy just needs a kick in the butt. Why doesn't just Jesus do this? You know, when he, what are you doing with this gentle stuff? Didn't like it. Now, once you've lived a bunch of life and stuff happens to you and you walk with people that different things happen and, and you realize, you know, most of the people I know, the man, they're just trying their best. They are just trying their best to hold it together and somehow hold their family together and their life together and their faith together. They just, man, in the midst of, they just, they are just trying their best. And so now sometimes when I read these words of Jesus, it's like, ooh, harsh, that's a little mean. Surely Jesus can't mean that. So we come to these hard words and words that we don't understand and words that, that, that confuse us sometimes. But what this man does as an example to us is he sticks with Jesus even when the words are hard. We double down and we trust him more and we allow ourselves before him again. And then look what happens next. Jesus says, go to your son. He will live. And the man believed his word and departed. He took Jesus at his word and departed. See, to honor Jesus is to trust and act on his word without proof. Because here's the, here's the interesting thing. It's the first time. I can't remember it's the only time. But it's the first time where, where Jesus does a miracle, but there's no proof for it, is there? I mean, here, you know, the people are gathered around. Here's this guy throwing himself at Jesus' feet, asking those things. And then Jesus says, okay, you can go. Now, all the other miracles, they're right there. Man bum blind, okay, well, he'll do this. Oh, you're trying to watch tomorrow, okay. It's right there. But in this case, there's no proof because the healing takes place 32 kilometers away that they don't know yet. And yet this man trusts him even without the proof. As far as the crowd was concerned, as far as this man was concerned, nothing had changed. But he believes and he shows it by obeying and he heads home. And again, I'm challenged. Do I believe that Jesus is faithful even when I can't see it? Do I believe that Jesus is faithful even when I disagree with it? Do I believe in Jesus even when it makes no sense to me and I don't understand and there's all kinds of things in our society today that Jesus stands against and we don't really have all that clear an answer as to why he says some of the things that he says and the positions that he takes. But the question is, do I trust Jesus to obey him even when I don't see it yet? I don't understand it yet. I might even disagree with it right now. To honor Jesus properly 
is to believe and act, even if we don't see the proof yet. Last thing, did you notice in those last few verses that the word life and alive comes again and again? Live and living dominate the last few verses, and the point is that Jesus is the Lord of life. Jesus is the one who gives life. He gives life eternal now instead of death. And in this case, the boy's body didn't fail either, but even when our bodies fail, Jesus gives life eternal. And to honor Jesus properly is in the face of even death to be able to have a sense of joy and victory because Jesus gives life. So the lens is, Jesus said, hey, a prophet doesn't receive honor in his hometown. So the question is, how do we honor Jesus? One of the ways we talked about quite a bit there is is to pray. And so I just want to give us a chance to pray again. So when the team comes up, you know, the elders that are here and, and I went back in that back corner and, and uh, you know, if we can pray with you, if we can pray for you, uh, then we just invite you to come back there for some, for some prayer. Even if it's scurry. Push through the fear of disappointment. Push through well, I don't really agree. And if you'd like prayer, then we don't wanna, we want to pray with you. So let's pray as the team comes, and then uh, the elders and I will go back there. And as we are singing that song, you can come and, and be prayed for. Father, I just want to thank you for the God that you are. <clears throat> and Lord, it's, you know, it, man, it takes us a while. It takes us all of our life, and I suppose on into eternity, to know who you truly are. And it's hard for us because, um, you know, we have our biases and we have our experiences and we have our thoughts and so on. And, and so it's easy to um, make you into our image, as those Galileans did. But we want to honor you for who you are, Jesus. We want to take you at your word. We want to be obedient to you. And so we, we just come before you at this time and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do in our hearts and lives what, what you need to do. And give us the courage and the strength and the faith to live out in obedience our trust in you and to continue to grow in understanding who you are. So come now, Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts and lives. Wash over us, send revival, deepen our faith. Show yourself to us. Because we need you, Jesus. We desperately need you. Amen.